Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I am Pastor Michael Zarling. I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen. Uh, if you're watching the video, I've changed the background again. Uh, if you're not watching the video and you're listening to the podcast, it's just black no matter what. But <laughs> I've changed it to uh, the cave in Dagobah because it's foggy here. So uh, because we've got had ice last week and snow, and now it's a little bit warmer, so it was just total fog outside so that's that's the reason for the background and then also since peter and i were messaging each other earlier this week and he was wondering what kind of background i should have since it's so cold he said i should have tatooine and i was just it was like a a dagger in the heart because <laughs> tatooine <icicle>. is yeah <laughs> tatooine is a desert planet because it has two suns peter <laughs> All, all I'm saying is sounds very artistic. Like you can go, you can go to a tattooing shop and you can get your tattooing fix. Yes, yeah. Versus Hoth, which is going to be the ice planet. And then <laughs> Peter, Peter was mixing his fantasy genre, his sci-fi genre, and then he said, "Well, as long as you're not wearing a red shirt." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is Star Trek. Ah. Oh. I, I would assume that it would be kind of rather hot on Hoth. It sounds like a Hoth place, right? Oh, jeez. But <laughs> no. I guess not. I guess not. Uh, before we begin, too, I just wanted to say I appreciated the conversation I had uh, this morning. I went out to eat with someone who had contacted me via email, Michael, and he brought his son, uh, Luke, along. And uh, Michael is a retired staff minister. He's been going around talking about uh, politics and uh, separation of church and state, all those kinds of things in relation to scripture at different churches. And someone had brought up my book to him and he had read it. Uh, and so he wanted to meet me. And then uh, it just kind of, we, we discussed things for an hour, the three of us. And what was interesting is, Michael had given his son, Luke, uh, the book, Who is the King in America and Who are the Counselors to the King? It's hard to see it here. Uh, and then before Luke left to go back to work, he gave me the book. So I, haven't, I don't know anything about it. It just seems very unique. Uh, who is the King in America and Who are the Counselors to the King? An overview of 6,000 years of history and why America is unique. And then they too reiterated uh, what should we do now if we're resisting? What's the next step? And I said, yeah, that's what we talked about last week of we have to write the sequel of rebuking the dragon's beast. So I think that's going to be coming up. <laughs> so we're going to be talking today. Uh, we left off with page 129. The title there is see the truth for yourself so what i write is there is danger in believing everything is true and similar danger in believing that everything is a conspiracy we must use our christian reasoning so we do not become naive believing everything is good everyone is good and out to help us but also do not become conspiracy theorists believing everyone is bad and out to get us then i bring in this movie in the matrix Neo is offered his choice of two pills. The red pill represents an awakening, but one that will be difficult and painful. Neo's world will be rocked if he takes the red pill. 
but he will also be made uncomfortably aware of the truth of the world. The blue pill represents comfort and security. He will continue to live in blissful ignorance if he takes the blue pill. Is it time for us to take the red pill despite the discomfort it may elicit? It is always the right time to exercise our human reason and be aware of those who are trying to influence us. So, Peter, have you seen The Matrix? I did, um, probably around the time that I was learning Algebra 2. Yes, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I understand the concept of the blue pill and the red pill. So with that, Peter, do you think the last few years more and more people have been taking the red pill or the blue pill and why? Oh, boy. I think, you know, the question of... Um... At what point do you look around and say, you know, things aren't aren't right? Um, and I don't really know. I think there's there's delusions that can happen on both ends of the political spectrum because we think on, on a left to right political spectrum um, instead of a, a more vertical political spectrum or a horse horseshoe shaped political spectrum um, where the actual continuum is personal independence versus governmental dependence and that's the continuum that we're working with and the most extreme version of governmental dependence um, is probably the dictatorships that we saw in the 20th century whether that's fascism or its cousin socialism you know socialism is just shiny fascism um, and and it's, i see it on the left um, with some of the tendencies toward neo-marxist socialism that says you know we need to find we need the government to step in and fix all these problems for us. We need the government to step in and give us a solution um, when when we all have this this new illness or whatever the case may be. And I think we also see it on the right, um, where there are people still looking for this or that particular candidate, um, this or that political victory in order to solidify um, their own standing and to make their own life easier. And um, and it's this constant chasing after a mirage that if if this one thing happens or if that happens, then we'll finally we'll finally make some progress um, where I think the whole idea of red pill versus blue pill is to realize, you know, to what extent that the, it, it's a facade that the best that the government has to offer you is um, is take a number and sit at the DMV for for three and a half hours. Or, um, or the red pill that says, you know, I, I still have responsibility for my own life. I still have agency and stewardship um, over what God has given to me. I'll still respect the government, but the primary responsibility for all of it lies with me. I have noticed, um, maybe not larger in quantity, but at least more intense in quality of, of people taking responsibility for themselves. Um, whether it is the the uptick in homeschooling or whether it is the uptick in gardening and uh, and backyard uh, small poultry and such um, which was basically the norm up until world war ii um, and so in that sense i think there there has been a little bit of a, a red pill revival if you want to go down put it that way um, but you can't really equate that with the red blue uh, divide that we have in our country sure yeah and you know, you mentioning socialism reminded me of, you know, I'm about eight hours in and I still have another uh, probably 15 hours to read of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a biography of him. 
but he's where I am in the book right now. <laughs> he is in Nazi Germany and you know, the Nazis have turned the Christian church uh, against the Jews and then really turning itself against itself. And so it's not even preaching a Christian doctrine anymore. They're taking things. They're, they're first trying to take anything Jewish out of the Bible and the mm -hmm. Christians in Germany have bought into this. So they take, start taking out the old Testament. They start taking out Paul because he was, you know, he had been a Pharisee. He was a Jew. They, they changed Jesus that they don't want him dying on the cross because that's defeatist. And the Christian church is buying into all of this stuff. And in what we're talking about here, I would say that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he is trying to get the people to take the red pill, to wake up to what Hitler and the Nazis are really all about. Because what Hitler is doing, he's got his uh, his flunkies that, uh, you know, his leaders that are anti-Christian and they want Hitler to, you know, go come down hard on the churches. And Hitler, where I am in the book, you know, early on, he's not willing to do that. He's using the churches, but uh, he is, he sounds Christian. He sounds Catholic, but he, he obviously is not. Uh, but then bringing it to today, you know, I can talk about ways that I think we see more and more people in our culture becoming red pilled. But I want to talk about specifically with this chapter with having to do with COVID. You know, I've been putting things on social media about this chapter and people respond and which is good. I, I want them to engage what what I've written and what we're talking about on these podcasts. And some are saying, well, we didn't know. And so we just had to go along with the experts. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today is I think we needed to take the red pill and to see and even now see, yeah, just because they thought that they should do something doesn't mean it was the right thing. So that's what I bring up on the bottom of page 129, uh, seeing all these plastic barriers. I don't know, Peter, do you still see any plastic barriers up around by you? Occasionally. Um, yeah. Occasionally you go up to the, the checkout. Um, most places don't have them anymore, um, but they're still around here and there. Yeah. And that's the same thing here. But you had all these businesses that were told to put up the these plastic barriers to remain open. And then the local uh, municipalities closed down the restaurants and so forth anyhow. And now they were incurring all of these expenses and not reaping anything back from it. But what I, I write about, uh, I quote uh, an August 2021 New York Times article on the bottom of page 129 that states, under normal conditions in stores, classrooms, and offices, exhaled breath particles disperse carried by air currents and depending on the ventilation system are replaced by fresh air roughly every 15 to 30 minutes but erecting plastic barriers can change airflow in a room disrupt normal ventilation and create dead zones where viral aerosol particles can build up and become highly concentrated so basically what that's saying and, and what i try to do with quoting a lot of uh different news sources you notice I tried to pick ones that were on the left, you know, that were liberal and so forth that would buy into this narrative and say, yeah, even they woke up a little bit. And that's what they're saying here, that we tried something and we, well, we tried putting up plastic barriers. What did it do? 
it actually would make things worse <laughs> because it mm -hmm. trapped the air particles instead of just letting it go out in the air and then you know go out in the ventilation system be cleaned and so forth but we trapped all that air and then it you know people are behind a you know if they're at a clerk maybe a bank a restaurant and they're behind this now they're breathing that same air same state stale air the same air that's filled with germs over and over again instead of just letting the air disperse so actually what we tried and by we i don't mean you and me but the experts what they tried made it worse and, and i think that's that's an example um at least in one ex one case of what we would call security theater that the issue isn't to actually make people safer it's to make people think that they're safer um to make people less worried and think that they are in control you know best example of this would probably be um going through tsa at the airport tsa didn't exist before 9 11. um but now you've got all these people lined up waiting to walk through a metal detector or whatever it is um while somebody you know relatively minimum wage worker is um is you know running their hands all around to make sure you know you don't have any weapons or anything like that and that it doesn't actually um, provide the level of security that we think it does, and that it creates a new susceptibility that is, you know, you've got all these people jammed together in the same area with all sorts of barriers where they can't move. And, you know, that, that is something that I, I know a number of our congressmen have talked about, that you're actually creating a new risk, um, not for bombs on a plane, but for the people who are there in this completely accessible public area. But it's security theater. It makes people feel good. Um, same thing with these plastic barriers. Yeah, and on a personal note, uh, my wife and I can't go people watch anymore. You know, that's because I'm extremely cheap uh, and not romantic at all. That was one of the things that uh, when I was dating Shelly, we would do. We would go to the Milwaukee airport, and you could go before 9-11 and go right mm -hmm. up to where they were boarding and just sit and watch people. And now we have to go to Walmart instead. <laughs> uh, and then in one of the examples I was thinking of this was, you know, like if my house, you know, had a water problem, so water's just streaming in, and, you know, I'm going to do my best to try and mitigate that issue, so I dig a trench next to the house to try and pull the water away from the house. And what do I do? I end up destroying the foundation. Okay, so what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do something, and it's a big thing, but it's the wrong thing. And that's what I see here, in that we're gonna look at with uh, the results of these mitigating attempts. I mean, we're, we're actually destroying the foundation by what we did. But before we get to that is, we talked, we touched on this a little, earlier in a previous episode about uh, the six foot distancing that where I quote here is that the social distancing uh, I'm quoting Scott Gottlieb the 23rd commissioner of the food and drug administration uh, he discussed the CDC's guidelines of six feet separation he said nobody knows where it came from you know he's someone that should know he says nobody knows most people assume that the six feet of distance the recommendation for keeping six feet apart comes out of some old studies related to flu where droplets don't travel more than six feet. But what it comes from is, that, I go on later on to say that uh, they thought that 
you know, the safe distance would be 10 feet, but no one knew how far 10 feet would be, you know, six feet, that's, you know, a person or a little bit shorter, 10 feet, that's too big of a distance. And you couldn't have any stores or any schools or anything open. So they brought it down to six feet. They just made it up. That's theater. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and the, the effort in all of it is to, um, is that there is somebody, you know, the, the expert, the authority, um, you know, like I just love it on, on news programs where they say, you know, this scientist, well, tell us what kind of scientist this person is. There's a world of difference between a microbiologist and, um, you know, a basket weaving archeologist. Uh, technically they're both, they're both scientists. Um, but that we, that the expert has the answer um, as opposed to just thinking, well, what are, what have we always done? Do I actually have to go to the store right now? Or do I just, has my lifestyle just been um, inculcated with going to the store because, because I'm bored and shopping because I don't know what else to do with my time? Um, some of those bigger questions that, that are just taken off the table or um, ignored because it's like, oh, don't worry. We've got the, we've got the answer for you here. Yeah, and with that, with the experts, that was something I remember getting some pushback on when I gave this, uh, the, the first presentation to our pastor's conference on my book. And someone said, well, we didn't know, so we just trusted the experts. Well, I said, I pushed back and said, and I quote, you know, on page 132, I said, I've got just as many experts on my side that said that everything that we're doing is wrong. You know, and then, you know, this pastor said, well, then which experts do we believe? I said, that's exactly it. You've got, if I have a health issue and I have two experts over here that say, well, you should do X. And I have two over here that say, do Y. I can keep looking at experts or I just have to use my common sense and say, all right, which one am I going to do? Yeah. That's what we should have done and not listen to politicians, and especially not listen to the media that was pushing one side. And when the media is pushing only one side, you know, I, I told our Bible study the other day, I know, and this is just personally, if I open up my news app uh, and it autom or a, a new tab, it automatically goes to like MSN. Okay. And whatever headline comes up, I know based on that news source, like CNN, MSN, MSNBC, I automatically believe the opposite of whatever that headline is. Okay. Uh, you know, Peter, you've done enough marriage counseling. You know what happens when you get a husband and wife in and they're telling two opposite stories or two kids. They're yeah, kind of the same. Yeah. same where, thing. You've where, got... where is the truth? <laughs> it's somewhere, somewhere in, in the between. Middle. Yeah. There's two people. There's at least three stories that we've got. Yeah. And what we were told, though, is there is no other side of the story. You can only believe this pre-approved story that one side is telling you, and that side is the side of the experts, the media, and the politicians. Mm -hmm. Okay, And that makes me think of the three-headed dog, uh, Sybris, right? You know, three-headed dog that guards hell. You know, <laughs> that's that's a pretty formidable beast when it's coming at us and that's what we had yeah anything you want to say on that part uh no that uh covered a lot of it okay <laughs> and you know because i like using analogies i i like the analogy i used on the bottom of the middle of page 134 
Because again, people would say, well, we were just trying to do something. Well, I use the example of I grew up on a farm and you know, a lot of times we would fix things with three, three things. It was bailing twine uh, and wire and duct tape. Could we fix things? Yeah. Were they the best way of fixing things? No. And what we saw, and now in hindsight, we could see this, the way that uh, the response of the experts, the government and so forth, that was not the best. But it's not just hindsight. For those of us who were able to see these things, we saw them right away because nothing about COVID changed after the two, first two weeks. Everything we knew from that two weeks after COVID kind of exploded around the world, that's all we knew. You know, we didn't, nothing actually changed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then we want to spend the rest of our time talking about the conscience. What is the conscience, Peter? Uh, we just covered this last week in catechism class. Um, the conscience is the voice of God's law in every person's heart. Um, every person has a conscience. And the conscience is um, basically that, that inborn opinion of the law because the conscience has been clouded over by sin. And so it, it isn't always a correct interpretation or a correct reflection of God's law. Um, but the conscience is that feeling of, hey, I did something that was good. Um, that, that feeling of, of success or that feeling of guilt, like I don't measure up, that I did something that was wrong. And um, so generally, it's, um, it's the voice of God's law in every person's heart. Yeah. On uh, page 136, uh, I quote a former seminary professor, uh, Dr. Paul Peters, and uh, you know, he writes in Our Great Heritage, Conscience is a precious gift of God. We note that human judges judge only after an act has been committed. Our conscience works before, during, and after, and thus is a powerful factor in our lives. So I say our conscience is shaped by the will of God laid out in the Ten Commandments. It's also affected by God's will that is placed into the hearts of all people. The conscience of each person is individual and different. It's affected not only by the word of God, but experience, emotions, relationships, upbringing, customs, and habits, among other influences. And so when we make decisions, we first go to God's word, and then we use our gift of reason, but we're also following our conscience. So. Peter, why is conscience such an important part when we look at how people dealt with COVID? I, I, a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the first one is that everybody has a conscience. That secondly, every person is driven along with that conscience as the slave driver, the taskmaster. Um, and the only people who are really free from that conscience as the, their slave driver are, are Christians. Um, because they've been they've been given the clarity of God's word, and they have the the assurance of God's righteous declaration that for the sake of Jesus they've been declared not guilty. Um, so that even when our consciences accuse us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Um, if you look at First John three, that's what he says there. And so when we're talking about um, when we're talking about COVID and the governmental reactions per, and other public policy ideas related to this, um, there's a couple of things going on. First of all, there's the, there's the social expectations um, and the social norms that are kind of involved in that. 
And so as a person is going about his or her life, they're thinking, well, what is expected of me? What is socially normal right now? Um, and, and what should I do? How should I act? Layer on top of that, that one of the, the biggest fears that people have is the, is the fear of death. And only the Son of God has liberated us from that fear of death. Um, but that fear of death is a fearful thing <laughs> because it tells us that we are sinful. And, um, and so if all of a sudden I'm seeing something that I see, you know, is killing people, then I'm going to be especially fearful because I want to, my conscience wants to protect me from confronting death and confronting the fact that I am guilty. So I need to find some way of um, mitigating this saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be guilty because I'm not going to die from this because I've done A and B and C and D. Or I'm not going to be guilty because I'm also following the social norm, which is what we should all be doing. And, um, and therefore, I am doing what is right. So that even if I happen to pass away in this pandemic, um, I'm not going to be, I'm not actually guilty of it. I'm not actually guilty of the reason of death. I'm just, I'm just the poor victim of a, of a worldwide pandemic. I'm not guilty as in sinful. Okay. And so that's where the conscience kind of twists both ways um, to try to help us weasel out of being guilty while also driving us along to do all these things so that we don't feel guilty. Yeah, and I think of conscience this way too. Yesterday we had a, a meeting and a couple of pastors were there and one of them, you know, he was appreciative. I had bought, brought Kringle, but he said, I'm not going to have any Kringle today, Michael, uh, because I'm on a special diet. I'm not having any sugar. And he, he wouldn't even have any fruit or any cream in his coffee. He didn't have any uh, dressing on his salad at lunch. He was all in. So, but if I would have said, hey, you need to have, you know, if I would have tried to entice him, and to have some sugar, you know, we had cherry cheese, Kringle and so forth. Well, that would have been wrong. His conscience was saying, because he, he's going on vacation. He wanted to fit in, into a Speedo on the beach. So uh, it would have been wrong for me to push this on him when he was saying no. You know, mm -hmm. Friday, he's done with it. And then he can have all the sugar he wants. Or, you know, if I have a friend that for whatever reason doesn't drink alcohol. Maybe he's, he's Baptist and learned that it was a sin. And even though now he's Lutheran and sees that it's an adiaphora, he can have it, he doesn't want it. Or maybe he was an alcoholic before and he doesn't want to touch alcohol now. Or he just says, you know, alcohol is not a good thing. I'm going to stay away from it. But for me, if I were pushing it on him in any way and making him feel guilty for not drinking alcohol, then I'm burdening his conscience. And that's what was happening with, with this. When people were saying, you have to wear a mask. It doesn't matter why you don't want to. You have to wear it. And uh, they're a real-life example. In For Reformation of 2020, we were voting to merge our two congregations of New Hope and Epiphany to become Water of Life. And so we held our joint worship service at Shorna Lutheran High School in their gymnasium. And then, you know, after the worship service, we voted and then we voted, you know, it was accepted to merge. And being the idiot I am, I was excited about this merger that had just taken place. And I took pictures and I posted them on social media 
And then people saw that and they contact the administration at Shoreland Lutheran High School. And then one of the administrators contacted me and said, Pastor Zarling, I've had all these people that have seen that you and others of your church did not wear masks. And they were wondering how come Pastor Zarling and his members don't have to wear a mask at Shoreland. And we do. And he said, to his credit, he said, how do I answer them? And I said, conscience. You mm-hmm. can't burden someone's conscience. And he said, I don't know anything about that. And that that hurts worse than you not knowing the difference between Tatooine and Hoth. Is, I, but he's not alone. A lot of people don't know about the conscience and not burdening it. And that's why I quote 1 Corinthians 8.12 twice on page 137. Let's drive this home. Uh, because the top of the page there, right? The Apostle Paul has some very strong words for causing people to sin against their conscience. And when you sin in this way against your brothers and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So Peter, what is, what's Paul referring to there? That sin, making someone else sin against their conscience. Yeah. um, I think, I think one of the main ideas here is that, is that we need to be be aware of the the fact that the conscience is there that the conscience says something and that the conscience um is binding to a person and we don't want to it's a dangerous thing to go against your conscience um we shouldn't try to bind people's consciences unnecessarily by you know telling them something is wrong that isn't or vice versa Um, but when we're talking about the the freedom of the conscience what we really need to understand is that the conscience is still an operative power in a person's life, even if that conscience is wrong. Um, and, and so we should, we should be, you know, attentive to that and, um, and, you know, take your time and be evangelical in encouraging somebody to, you know, change their ways or come to a different action or just say, you know what, um if somebody has you know given up alcohol or whatever the case may be it's not a big deal um and we can we don't need those things in order to in order to foster a, a happy healthy life together um i don't know what else did you think about that yeah and what is the conscience well it is god gives us his 10 commandments written down he places his 10 commandments or his will on our hearts and he does that with our conscience and so our conscience is based on the word of God, experience, emotions, relationships, upbringing, customs, habits, other kinds of influences. And so we may just, you and I may come down in different ways of doing things. And our conscience says, no, this is the right way of doing it. And you might say, no, my conscience says this is the right way of doing it. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And take for sho- you, take your shoes off when you come into the house. Like- yeah. <laughs> that that's just the way that um that my wife and i you know conduct our household that you walk into our house and the shoes are there by the door and um that's they, a good so example because yeah. in our house we we leave our shoes on all the time we're going to be running outside but yeah that's totally. a great example and for me to say leave your shoes on when you come in my house that's rude i'm burdening your conscience and if i want and if I want to leave my shoes on when I come to your house, but you've never invited me to your house is <laughs> that's only because we're a few States away. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I and said I, just, and I don't, just catch the bike trail and, and you know, right. go biking for like 10 days. <laughs> but I don't want to leave, take my shoes off because mm-hmm. maybe I got ugly feet or I've got you know a foot odor, whatever it is. And I feel like I can't take my shoes off. And, and maybe it's my own custom, but you force me to, you're, you're burning my conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like when I go to somebody else's house, I wear, I wear matching socks that don't have holes, you know, cause I'm going to take my, <laughs> my shoes off. They don't want to see my toes. Um, and when people come over to our house, they, they see the shoes by the door, but we don't make us think about it. Like we invited you over. <laughs> That's and, a good one. That's a good dad uh, joke. Yeah. And uh, we, we invited you over and you can take your shoes off if you want or leave them on. We don't care because you're just a one time visitor. You're not you know, somebody who is here every single day, you know, um, on, on the flooring that we have to clean. And but that's exactly what was happening with COVID when people were saying you have to wear a mask, you have to lock down, you have to stay at least six feet away. And you were saying you have to. And, what, and, and, what... and there's a good point there that um, if somebody is a private business, they should have the right to conduct their business how they want. If they're like, okay, you want to come into our business, we're going to give you a one-time use uh, disposable red cap that you have to wear in, or, you know, like a yellow hat, like Curious George, um, or, you know, here's a mask when you walk in. If you want to shop here, then wear this thing. That's fine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I can take my business elsewhere if I don't want to do that. Um, if it, if it is an imposition on my, what I feel like my personal autonomy, um, or that it is an onerous regulation, even if it's, if, if it's a dumb thing, but I don't mind shopping there, you know, like they say, okay, you have to wear this green jacket when you walk in here. And I'm like, fine, you've got the best cuts of beef in town and I need a good steak for tonight. I'll wear a green jacket and I'll toss it on the way out, but it's not particularly onerous and I'll put up with it. But that's where the, um, at least the libertarian mindset is has some attraction to it that says you know what if we as long as we keep the governmental regulations out of the way then there will be a free market solution to this and and we can have some discussion about it so either they'll thrive and everybody's wearing something silly when they go in there or they're going to shut down because they're turning away all these potential customers yeah and yet it was a one-size-fit-all type of solution and using the gift of reason, where in the history of our world, even with medical and everything, where is one solution, the one that works for everyone, whether it's, or you wear a mask, that works for everyone. You stay six feet apart, that works for everyone. You will get into the vaccines in a few episodes. You, this one vaccine, this works for every single person, no matter the age, body type, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. But you had a very good point, you said, personal autonomy that was lost that whole idea of i god has given me my body i own this body no one else does no one else can do tell me what to do with my body and yet that's exactly what people were telling us to do no one has the right to tell us what to do with our body except god our body is a temple of the holy spirit not a temple of our government and and you know Autonomy, I think, is a is a good like narrowing down of the whole discussion of stewardship. Stewardship isn't just like I manage my body, I make sure to exercise and eat only eat Kringle when I get to go with Pastor Zarling. Um, that's like stewardship. But personal yep. autonomy is I I have the right to you know I can have my own opinion, 
and and I can have my own boundaries. And so the real issue is, um, like I said earlier, it's not a, a left-right political divide issue. It's a continuum of of personal autonomy or independence versus um, social compliance. And that's the real issue when whether we're talking about governmental regulations and the and be, well when we are talking about governmental regulations and the operative force when we're talking about that in the world is the conscience because the conscience can be used to generate guilt or to to uh, manufacture compliance or outward obedience um, and and that is a very strong lever that we need to um, at least be aware of you know, and it's, and it's influence on us. Right. Yeah. And in our breakfast this morning, Luke mentioned that too, about 1984, George Orwell's book of Newspeak of just changing the words. And I talk about changing the words that they very easily could have said physical distancing, but there's a difference by calling it social distancing. Yeah. And, and physical distance, like if it is a, uh, if it is a specific distance where transmission is dramatically lowered, um, then physical distance means I am physically this far away. <clears throat> Social distance is like I am I, I cannot spend time with these people. I am. And if you live through that 2020 time and you kind of remember it, it was <laughs> a little wild and wooly for a while. Um, but social distance just like cut out all the all the social contact. Um, to say, and, and we're even going to, you know, put in blockers so that we can't have regular interactions between people or between parents and children, um, that socially there's something wrong with people gathering together, not just yep. the fact that they are so far apart. Yeah, and then I think this is such an important point in the middle of page 136 of what Luther says, you know, when he is uh, in the Diet of Worms, he has the emperor tell him to recant his writings. <clears throat> and he says, <clears throat> to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Why is that, Peter? Why is it neither right nor safe to go against conscience? Yeah, to, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe because it is a, you know, the voice of God's law. And, um, and it is supposed to be a guideline for our Christian life. Um, and... And if that conscience is ill-informed, then it needs to be informed. And then, you know, there's, there's a, a better way, but that doesn't mean, you know, if it's neither right nor wrong, you can still uh, follow your conscience, even if it's more restrictive than, than true Christian freedom might be. Um, but it's not right to simply dismiss out of hand and as if it doesn't influence our, our living, our life, our emotion, our mental state, our faith. Um, and to ignore the sign, you know, it's one of the two sources of God's law and the, the influence of conscience in, in a person's life. Um, when you're talking about guilt and shame and, uh, and fear and doubt, um, all these things have, have longstanding results that we don't want to just dismiss out of hand and say, well, you should do that. You should do this. Um, it's foolish to, to ignore it. Yeah. And people say, well, we did it. It was for the best. Well, we know it wasn't for the best because there are a lot of issues with the masks on its own. But uh, even if it was for the best, that's not a reason. The ends does not justify the means. That is not a Christian uh, 
way of talking. And for us to buy into that is very unchristian. The end justifies the means because it may be a good thing to force two people, a guy and a girl that are living together in sin. It might be good to force them away from each other and say, that's God pleasing, but that's not God pleasing to force them. You never force someone to do something for good because, uh, you know, they're going against their conscience. It's better to work on the conscience if you tell them this is the sin, to show them why it's a sin, and then offer them forgiveness when they deal with the guilt instead of just forcing righteousness on them. Because all you're doing then is forcing Phariseeism on them of the Pharisees of Jesus Day thinking they were so good. And with that, uh, you know, that's that's the last part on this section of uh, judging people. Uh, page 138, uh, I quote from Matthew 7. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, Stop judging so that you will not be judged. For with whatever standard you judge, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you focus on the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not consider the beam that is in your own eye? How will you tell your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, when in fact you have been you have a beam in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the beam from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there, Peter, uh, I asked a question in the study guide. Uh, did we find that there was an awful lot of judging going on during COVID? Yeah, and and not just um, not just like making a judgment, but like, I would call it passing in judgment or um, being judgmental as if we have we have already decided within ourselves or with outside influence we have decided what the right course of action should be and that everyone who does the same right course of action that we have decided is right they are on the right side and everybody who does not do the same course of action that we have decided they on, they're on the wrong side and you can parse that out as finely as you want um that if somebody is wearing a mask or isn't wearing a mask if they're wearing a mask or they're sitting too close to somebody or somebody is in their own car and they're driving down the road and they're wearing a mask it's so easy to pass judgment in a judgmental way not saying here is the objective standard of god's law do i measure up or do i not but rather here is what i have decided is right and that person is measuring up or that person is not therefore that second person is the idiot and this first person agrees with me which just verifies that i am right yeah all and you're right. is the conscience <laughs> yeah and what and you're right is you're saying what we were doing is we were telling other people what they should do right jesus says no you focus on yourself let them focus on themselves and we weren't doing that uh and you know it was about moral superiority and we both felt that way mm -hmm. if if uh we didn't wear a mask we saw everyone else wearing a mask we felt morally superior. We're not as afraid of this. We're not buying into the narrative. But those that were wearing the mask, they had moral superiority because we're following the science. We're following the experts and so forth. And and I'm more loving and I'm not going to kill grandma. And yeah. um, it because it goes both ways, because the issue is the conscience run amok. Um, this will be the, the book plug. You probably heard about it last week. And I'm now, I don't know, three or four chapters in called manipulism, not manipulation, manipulism, 
where the author looks at um, Denmark in particular as a case study in socialism. And if you've never lived in a socialist country, um, or if all you've ever known is the United States, it is a fantastic little primer on, on how this works, on how the culture at large, um, not just the culture, but um, you know, government to a degree at large, um, uses the conscience to manipulate people into acting and thinking and talking in the same way. Um, and, and it would fit right on your bookshelf next to 19, between 1984 and Brave New World, um, right next to Live Not By Lies, where you know, the introduction to Live Not By Lies, he talks about um, the issue isn't totalitarianism, but absolutism. I think that was it, where it's not just total, or it's not authoritarianism, there we are, um, outside authority compelling obedience, but it's totalitarianism and absolutism where the issue is that I already internally change what I think and change what I say in order to meet this external standard. And all it is, once again, is the conscience. And the only person that sets you free from the conscience is Jesus Christ. And that's yeah. why, you know, throughout the last 20th century, um, that's why Christianity is such a threat to every sort of, um, every sort of dictatorship, every communist country, every fascist country, because that means that the Christian can't be compelled into um, external obedience. Yeah, and exactly what you were saying is that with Jesus, because what were we using to judge other people? We were using the data given to us by experts. We were not using scripture to judge people. Okay, we were looking at masks whether we're wearing them or not, social distancing, whether we're doing it or not, uh, lockdowns, whether we're doing it or not, whatever it was, one one side or the other, we were we were breaking Jesus' words here and judging people on the outside instead of just talking to people. Because I I used a real life example on the bottom of that page where uh, someone came to me and said, Pastor, I just feel judged by the by people who aren't wearing a mask. And I said, that's interesting you say that because the people that uh, aren't wearing a mask, they feel judged by those who are wearing a mask. He goes, really? I said, yeah, maybe you should just talk to each other. And that was what we, we were missing. And part of it was because we were told not to talk to each other because of social distancing. And then you can believe all the narratives. So mm -hmm. the key is, but the, the big thing is the takeaway. And we, again, we encourage you to, to share this podcast, share this video. I think this is so important, this, this episode on the conscience, because people don't know about it. They need to read the scriptures on it, study, even what the formula of Concord has. And I didn't quote that it's in the, it's in my book uh, in this chapter, read what we believe about the conscience and get people to know about it. And because that was one thing that was missing as a defense of why we weren't going to do what we were being told to do is because our conscious said everything that it we're being told to do is wrong and it's made up. All right. Anything else on that, Peter? Uh, no, I'm just uh, loving the book that I'm reading right now. It's a little, little dense. Um, so it's like 20, 25 minutes for a chapter. Um, but it's definitely worthwhile in that the author really breaks down um, how this all works and the specific interaction within the human conscience, um, as well as kind of the pathological psychology that it uh, that it breeds. <laughs>
And, and then we'll wrap it up here. But again, I want to encourage everyone to like and share these videos and podcasts. Uh, email me, uh, find us on Facebook and on X and so forth, because uh, it's interesting that the book has been out for a while. We've been doing these podcasts for a while. And yet, for whatever reason, it seems like God is allowing this book to bubble up and more and more people are finding out about it because I've got more and more emails Two came in this morning. Uh, again, meeting with Peter or me with Michael and Luke today. I had a phone call yesterday from someone I had uh, presented to in good Hume, Minnesota. And he, he said, Hey, pastor, are you still doing these presentations? I want you to do one over in this church over here and so forth. And I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done because I'm not worried about making any money on the book because authors really don't make much on books. I just want to get this idea out there, get people reading the book, uh, keep on talking to people at NPH so they, they contact us so that we can get this book sold there as well. All right. Well, Lord's blessings until we see you next week. And we'll see what the weather is like next week so I know what kind of background I need to show up.